Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than Will Smith singing Summer, Summer, Summer Time. That's a bloody tune, isn't it? Not the Will Smith new one, though, for that World Cup. Now, nah, Will, keep it 90s. My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this, what? The original 1990s football podcast. Thank you very much for joining us and hitting that download button harder than a Darren Anderton shot in the Umbro Cup. Hit both posts, went in. We talked about it on This Week in the 90s a couple of episodes ago. Go back and listen to it. Yeah, listen to that. And did you listen to our last full-length show? Um, bit of fun. A lot of fun, actually. Um, picking the 90s England squad. Really, really enjoyed this. Uh, Joel, as per usual, Joel's always here. And Sid Lambert, follow him at Proper Football. We picked an England squad completely made up of players of the 1990s, obviously, but not just the tournaments, but anyone who had an England cap in the 90s. And as I said in the last time, that meant that John Scales and David Unsworth and Barry Venison were all viable for the squad, but they didn't quite make it. Mark Hately and Steve Ball almost did. All right, Sid, I know you're trying it with that one. Mark Hately, eh? Uh, I've got a lot to say about him. Um, actually, more than you might imagine coming soon. That's a little sneaky uh, little tease there for you. But they didn't quite make our final England squad. Go on the Twitter feed. I think it's still the pinned tweet um, to find out who our England squad was. Um, we also did a little panini, panini collage uh, of all the stickers and the final squad. Uh, I put that somewhere on Twitter, but I can retweet it again at some point. I had fun putting that together, actually. And you lot had fun getting in touch and telling us your England squad as well. So thank you very much to everyone who got involved. Just scrolling through them here. It's really nice to see all the activity on the uh, Twitter feed at AK90s uh, if you want to follow us on there. I might change that handle. What do you reckon? Is at AK90s not clear enough for what we do on here? Uh, let me know. I'll put the poll on Twitter. We changed the actual name from Alive and Kicking, which is obviously the name of the podcast, to the 90s Football Podcast, just to make people more aware of what this Twitter feed is referring to and is representing. But maybe we should change the handle as well. Let me know what you think. Um, but you did let me know what you thought about your squads. Uh, I'm not going to see it go through them because there were quite a few. Some names that got into some of the squads that didn't quite manage it into ours. Chris Woods. Do you know what? We never really talked about Chris Woods when we were talking about goalkeepers. We had uh, Martin, uh, Nigel Martin, Tim Fallows, and of course Dave Seaman in our England squad. Um, Chris Woods, very viable. Uh, he was a number one in that oh, that tricky period, wasn't he? From in between Shilton and Seaman, Chris Woods was the established number one. So maybe got a little bit lost in the fact that England were going through a transitional per- period at that point. And to be honest weren't very good, obviously didn't qualify for USA 94 as well, but no, Chris Woods probably deserves a shout, I think I mentioned his name on the show, but we didn't really talk in detail about him, uh, Terry Butcher got a lot of love, uh, I didn't, to be honest, I didn't mention him because he pretty much retired from international football um, after 1990, so to squeeze him in in a 1990s squad, I think Gary Lineker was a stretch because obviously he retired in 92-ish, so yeah, we didn't include Terry Butcher in ours. But um, there's a few other names. Uh, Gary Pallister, which I think Joel mentioned. Peter Beardsley was a big favourite. Again, we mentioned him. But somehow, Les Ferdinand got the nod, which I didn't You know, I didn't push for. I know he's a QPR legend and I, he was in my original squad. But he made the final cut somehow uh, above Beardsley and, and Robbie Fowler. Uh, Stephen Manaman gets a good shout. Um, the Matt Letizia, obviously we had the Matt Letizia conundrum on the show. Um, so yeah, I'm sure he would. Um, I was expecting him to appear in a lot of squads. So yeah, Brian Robson again. It's that early '90s uh, sort of cut-off point, isn't it? He didn't quite, you know, he was quite injured for that 
um, World Cup in 1990, and then I know he was at Man United for the 92-93 win, the Premier League win, but after that he went into management, of course, in Middlesbrough. I think one of our regulars will know all about that and spoke about it in great length here on the show, but yeah, he got in a few other people's squads. Um, I think that's probably, let's just look him down at the the uh, tweets that you guys sent us, really the, the names that we didn't include uh, that you guys mentioned on here. Um, like some more shouts for Woods and Butcher. Um, I'm not allowed for Batty as well. Um, but yeah, so hopefully you enjoyed that. I mean, go back and listen. We really enjoy putting that together. There's even talk, there's even talk on Tony Daly trying to get in our England squad. Sid, he's a cheeky one, that Sid Lambert. But yeah, follow him and Joe on, on the Twitter. I'm um, all about the following today. And talking of today, ooh, a little segue for you. We are sticking with that World Cup theme because I'm hoping you're full on World Cup fever now. We are just days away from the big kickoff in Russia in 2018. But we are going to settle the big one today. The big debate, the one that matters the most. Not who's England captain, how far they're going to go, who's going to win the Golden Boot at 2018. Is it going to be Messi's World Cup? What's the greatest ever World Cup kit? No, the important question is, what is the best World Cup of the 1990s? Ooh. Yeah, it's a hard one. It's a difficult one. As you know, I've got a lot of love for USA 94. I've got a lot of love for Italian 90, since it was kind of where my football education began. And France 98, still a lot of love for that. It's probably, if I'm being honest, and I'll be honest on the show, third on my list at the moment, but it doesn't discourage it from being an absolutely blimmin' brilliant tournament, France 98. Um, so this is going to be a tough one. Um, the way we're going to do it, we've got, uh, I think, eight or nine categories, possibly more, because I, there was a whole list, but we'll try and keep the show as, as neat and tidy and not too drawn out as possible. Uh, but each we'll go for each category, me and the two guys, and we'll decide between us, majority rules, as always, so that probably won't go down too well with a couple of them, who wins in which category, and then whatever World Cup's got the most wins at the end of it. Hopefully it's not a tie because that, then we'll have to find a tiebreaker for some way. But whatever it is, we'll declare the best World Cup of the 1990s. Oh yeah! So stay tuned for that. Joel is with me as per blooming usual because he's brilliant. And we also got the brilliant Sashi Nakrani from The Guardian joining us and also part of the amazing Chuckle Lovers podcast. If you like your comedy, we talk about it on the show, but if you like your comedy, check those guys out because oh, I've been on it and I've done a Saved by the Bell one for them, keeping it 90s obviously, but overall it's a great podcast. Outside of football, outside of, well not outside the 90s because they do some great 90s themed episodes in terms of TV shows, but if you like the comedy, listen to Chuckle Lovers with Sashin, but we'll get onto that more in the show. We've also got a little chat. Yeah, I've cheated again. I've thrown in some quotes from Gary Bloomin Lineker. Yeah, Gary Lineker, I spoke to uh, earlier this month. Yeah, yeah, it was earlier this month at the BBC World Cup launch. And he spoke a little bit about his um, memories of playing in 1990, uh, the Great Italian 90 tournament, which we'll talk about. And a few bits and bobs for 2018 as we look towards the World Cup that's happening this week. Oh, wall to wall football. Can't wait. Although it has already been wall-to-wall football in my house. Because have you been watching the History Channel? Round of applause for the History Channel. Because they have been producing some amazing documentaries over the last few weeks uh, in the build-up to World Cup 2018. There's a great one uh, called Return to Turin, which is based around, obviously, World Cup Italia 90. It's a, I think it's a Gary Lineker is it goal hanger produced film. And it sort of charters mainly Terry Butcher, Gary Lineker and Paul Parker former guest on the show, 
going back to the hotel they stayed in during the World Cup and just their memories of the time at Italia 90. Um, and it's a really, really good watch, as is One Night in Turin, which they've been showing as well, which is just essential view. And if you've never seen One Night in Turin, it's an amazing documentary on Italia 90. But there's also been some other stuff. They've shown those classic FIFA films that I think used to be knocking around on BT Sport and ESPN, but they've got them on there. Um, some domestic stuff as well. Um, some debate shows. I watched one... Uh, they were debating who was better between Jurgen Klinsmann and uh, Marco Van Basten. There's a Messi and Ronaldo one. So some great stuff. I think it sort of ended this week, but I'm sure it's still available on the um, whatever demand service the, the History Channel has as well. So check that out if you want more football. I don't know how much more you'll be able to take given that it's World Cup season in a few days and there'll be just football everywhere, um, which I can't wait for. But if you want even more, then check out the stuff on the History Channel because it's a little bit 90s as well. But let's get on. Let's settle the debate. The biggest debate that, that matters right now. What is the best World Cup of the 1990s? Well, we're going to find out as me, Joe and Sashi debate that very subject. Sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football. If the 90s are now retro, then it's time for a celebration. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Well, we've all got World Cup fever. Yes, it's that time. And it's, we're here to settle the ultimate debate. No, no, we're not talking about 2018 and whatever happens in the next few weeks, even though the World Cup kicks off tomorrow. Oh, yes. No, we're here to settle the biggest debate, the debate of the best decade. What is the best World Cup of the 1990s? Oh yeah, not skimming it here. That is the big debate we're getting into on today's Alive and Kicking. And of course, couldn't do it on my own, because if I did it on my own, it would just be USA 94, as you all know. But no, to help us along the way, we've got two brilliant people, as per usual, on this podcast. Firstly, he's always here, so you're expecting this. He is a social media mogul for TV epics, such as the Crystal Maze, keeping it 90s as well. He's a Borough fan, and he's also favouring the side of France 98 today. So, hello, Mr. Joel Young. Hello, Ash. Are you all right? I'm good. I'm very, I'm ecstatic, because it's just been announced that 2026, God, that's well in the future, isn't going back to North America. I'm already excited about that. Well, we can go, you know, I might go to Canada, might go to Mexico, but I think I might leave the USA at the moment. Well, hopefully in eight years we might be in a better state. Anything to hark, hark, <laughs> hark back to USA 94. Maybe they'll do a, like a rehash of the denim kit. Yeah, that took, what, how long did that take? One minute, 15 seconds, USA 94 This kit. is not there as good go. as what I texted you about today, though, Ash, is it? What, what else did you text me about today? I, I texted you about, um, we're going to keep it 70s straight away, but the fact that the 1978 Mexico oh, kit yes. was made by Levi's. Yeah. I know, random. <laughs> that really entertained me. I, don't know I know. Why. That was on the BBC. They did a thing yesterday, didn't they? My the World Cup kit thing, and I got very annoyed because that kit, yep, USA ninety four, got knocked out in the first round by Republic of Ireland nineteen ninety. What? No, 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 no. no, no. I didn't see you one in the end. I think it was Brazil seventy versus Germany ninety. So Brazil won, I think. Did they? Pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, anyway, joining us as well, um, it's great to have him back actually, I haven't had him on for a while, way back actually in the early episodes, um, he's a writer for The Guardian and he is the host of one of the most brilliant podcasts out there, I have to say for myself, very different, it's not it's not football but it is a little bit 90s, Chuckle Lovers, if you like TV and you like your comedies, listen to Chuckle Lovers with Sashin Nakrani and uh, your mate Stephen Chicken, but how are you doing Sashin? I'm very good, thanks Sash, thanks for having me back and um, I think I'm going to add some, some lovely balance this 
uh, podcast because your favourite World Cup appears to be 94, Joel's appears to be 98, and mine is 1990. So, yeah, yeah. All, all bases covered. All bases Yeah, I was going to say that, actually, because I know you're a man who tweets a lot about Italia 90, so that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, nothing wrong with that. Because, I mean... <laughs> USA 94 is my favourite, but I have got a lot of love for Italian 90 because it's my first. I did a tweet earlier in the week about um, when, again, the BBC were doing my first World Cup or something like that as a hashtag, and I tweeted about Italian 90. And I watched a documentary actually last night, the BBC's review of it, and it does it did bring back the feels, Italian 90. It's, um, yeah. It's, well, it's not the best World Cup, and we'll, we'll probably talk about it as we go. It, I'm not in any way saying it's the best, but exactly yeah. like you, it was my first. I have a lot of fondness. And actually, uh, funny enough, I tweeted this out, uh, yesterday as well. I was in the office, and there was a computer next to me that was empty, and everyone's obviously gripped by World Cup fever. So I was stuck on YouTube. The, yeah, the exact same thing, the BBC's review of Italian 90. Des in the San Siro, yeah. in that brown Colombo coat style. Just let, <laughs> let it run. <laughs> just sort of dipped into it as, as I was working, and uh, yeah, just flooded. The memories flooded back. There is a um, 94 version as well with Barry Davis, the great Barry Davis, but I've only mm. found the first 10 minutes of it online. YouTube hasn't got it. It was on Daily Motion or one of those weird Vimeo, something like that, one of those video okay. websites, but I only found the first 10 minutes, which was equally as exciting. But if anyone knows where to find the rest of it. Hold that... on, hold on, Ash. Daily Motion isn't weird. Daily Motion is just French. You all know what it is. My <laughs> love of the World Cup, whichever one my favourite is. I-, I can see these digs. I can feel them. Is that what it is? I never knew it was French. Never French, knew that. Yeah. I've learnt something new today. Okay. Well, let's, let's get cracking. Right. Well, the way this is going to work, we're not just going to argue because we'd be here all day. Um, and I think in the end, people would get a bit bored of our um, and biasedism. So we're going to try and be as fair as we can. We've got some categories, um, which these are going to be split into. And we can decide which World Cup wins which category. Hopefully, there won't be a tie. I think my maths works out that it can't be a tie between all three. So that's a good start. But there could be a tie between two of them. Well, well whoever, you know, we, we should say now then, whoever you know the other person has the casting board if their if their world cup isn't the one that wins they have the casting board oh that's a good i did have some sort of quick fire tie breaks but that that could be a better one actually yeah that, that, let's see where we are depends if you i don't i don't hold hopes for usa 94 because we did a poll on twitter um i put it up last night and asked the uh, the listeners who what world cup was their favorite and at the moment there's still a few hours left on it italian 19 is winning by 51 percent Oh, yeah, that's a that's a huge, almost a landslide victory. Twelve percent for USA ninety four and thirty seven percent for France ninety eight. So I don't know if the England factor plays into that because obviously we're very England centric on for this Twitter feed and this podcast. So I'm not sure if the England factor plays into that, but we'll get into it. Um, So let's start with our first category. We're going to hit big time first of all. and really just talk about the moments, what, what World Cup had the best moments. Um, so let's do it chronologically, and let's go to Italian 90 then, Sashi, and let's revel in, I mean, the big sort of standout moments what we remember from um, the USA 94. I mean, it's very England, and uh, as a, with Gaza and on, on Lineker and Platt and stuff, but what for you is the standout moments for, for Italian 90? Yeah, well, you say it's England. For me, the, the big moment of Italian 90 is not England-related at all, and it's probably the reason why I have a lot of fondness for this World Cup. Well, not the main reason, but I think there's a key reason for that. It's the opening game, obviously. Argentina-Cameroon. Yeah. Um, Francis Omanbeek's goal, which obviously won it for a Cameroon team that was essentially made out of part-timers and thugs. Uh, two players, <laughs> Benjamin Massing and... Uh, can you be sent off in that game as well? They, you know, playing against the world champions, you know, Ad Maradona, not at its peak quite, but still, you know, still very yeah. much in his prime. And it was an almighty shock. And I think to have that in the opening game, there has been a few shocks in opening games. I obviously remember Senegal beating yeah. France in 2002 as well. So it does happen. But I think you could probably argue this is the greatest World Cup, certainly opening match shock of all time. 
And for me, I just remember I was nine at the time. Um, you know, didn't really understand how a World Cup worked. I don't, you know, I didn't understand about the groups and and all that stuff. But I, I just thought it was like a load of games, and eventually somebody wins at the end. But you know, I was watching it as a nine-year-old, and I still remember that sense of wonder when when Omar Big scored and and the realization that this, you know, that, that shock had had happened, and it just set the tone really. And I think for me, that is not just for me the 1990 standout moment. In my lifetime watching football, it's the World Cup standout moment. I, I it's so iconic. And it's just the colours, you know, with Argentina yeah. in an iconic blue and white strip, Cameroon in that green kit. Um, they were down to 10 men. They they won the game. They were this unknown entity. And it was, it was just, was it, was, it, was, it, was it the San Siro? I think it was um, the San Siro. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, which is like, obviously, absolutely iconic iconic ground as well it just had everything for me mm, yeah big moment that for in that world cup what joe for you what's what sort of moments stand out for you from italia 90 um, well i mean we won't get to the obvious one of my man that didn't make the 1990s team of the decade you know obviously but but you know england cameroon the the fight back mm. in that game um lota mateus just waltzing his way through um against was it Yugoslavia it was Yugoslavia yeah, I was yeah. going to mention this later in the goals that yeah. for me is a really underrated goal yeah. in World Cup history like, yeah, I mean, it again this off, sensational strike he starts off in his own half and he just keeps skipping past these ridiculous yeah. challenges and then and then goes from sort of being really sort of delicate touches to sort of getting the, the foot like a traction engine out so to speak and bang low shot past the keeper what I mean, what a cracker that is but you know there was other silly moments if you think things about you know Rene Higuita the sweeper <laughs> keeper <laughs> yeah uh, that's a popular one um, and um, Roberto Baggio's goal yeah we'll come on to well. that we talk about goals yeah yeah um, but the iconic stuff is more so than Gascoigne's tears is the thing that always sticks out is Gary Lineker looking towards the bench yeah. and saying, "Keep an eye on him." Mm. And that's have a word with him. I yeah, think, I think the, I think the the BBC have used that in the the sequence, the embroidered sequence. Yeah, the to which you want two frames. I do own two frames of it. Yeah, Mo Salah one and a Roger Miller one. As we're talking. Um... Uh, Italia 90 doing the wiggle as well I think talking to Cameroon as well I think they were very much the moment itself not just the opening game but just their ride and their we talked about this didn't we Joe on this week in the 90s coming from nowhere with that African kind of um, stereotype thrown at them and really showed that they were more than just uh, there to make up the numbers they really performed well as one of the best African nations at that time they showed they could get all the way to the quarterfinals I would also throw in Ireland as well great moments there from Paki Bonner um, in the beating center, Romania yeah, on penalties, on penalties and, and David O'Leary of course with that penalty led by Jack Chilton so it's an interesting thing about O'Leary that he'd hardly played for four years mm. for Ireland and then stepped up and, and I don't think he'd started the game I think he came on as a sub and then all of a sudden he's got to take this this penalty I watched it with the uh, commentary from RTE last night and uh, really is spectacular you know I mean total um, partisanship from the Irish commentators as they should be I think in those situations but like what really we don't really think about that as a moment in this in this country so much but to Ireland that's massive for, almost like the prodigal son returning hasn't played for four years and then has only been on the pitch I think about 20 minutes or so correct me if I'm wrong Irish people yeah um, there's one of the yeah, few actual Irish and, people in the squad as well probably yeah yeah so um yeah, that's that's a huge moment mm. in the in the tournament. That okay. Can I mention another one as well? Go on, session. Frank Reichard. Of uh, course. I think that's yeah. all I need to say. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the I've only World Cup I can remember where somebody's down in scandal. Yeah, we'll oh, go scandal, yeah. yeah, we'll Fair move, enough, yeah. yeah, but that is again, yeah, another moment. Um, that's let's yeah. quickly talk about the other two then. In terms of can they sort of rival at Alia 90 for moments? I'll stick my USA hat in and say there was a few 
in USA 94. Obviously, Diana Ross starting the tournament. That was a moment in itself. Um, I think one of the greatest images in World Cup history is the final image of Roberto Baggio missing that penalty with the Brazil players running back celebrating it's just you I can feel the agony and the ecstasy in the same picture it's amazing for me I think if you want to talk about an image that stays with everybody forever we've got to talk about Bebeto yeah, yeah. the baby rocking yeah which is uh, he's about 26 now yeah, or something plays yeah. Lisbon, plays. yeah well ahead of the uh, 2014 World Cup and then there was a picture of Bebeto and his son doing the rocking movement together because his son by that stage he said was in his late teens early 20s four years ago and that, uh, and yeah, for some of the, you know people of our age, that's remarkable. You think that kid whose birth <laughs> we remember his dad celebrating, and that kid is now like twin, twenty odd years old. It's going to be on, even worse when he retires, man. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, just on. It's not really a moment, but it's always a theme that sticks with me about USA '94. It always. I don't know if you guys. I presume you guys didn't go out there. We were all probably oh, too I was, young. Yeah, I, was, I, I wish was, I was. Yeah, I was thirteen. It just looked ridiculously hot all the time. Yeah. And, I, and obviously, remember Jack Jack Charlton losing his shit in that game against Mexico, and um, every, just everyone looking stressed out with the heat. And as a kid, when whenever we played, it became a phrase at our school: USA '94 weather. Whenever we were playing football at lunchtime, and it was that. really hot. <laughs> we'd go ask USA '94 weather because it was just. It's not a moment; it was just a theme yeah. of that World Cup. It was mm. just roasting, wasn't it? I yeah. mean, I wasn't out there. This, but that's the reports you got back. It was just constantly hot. This is going to sound ridiculous, um, but I've been. Have you been watching the stuff that History Channel have had yeah, for the last course. two weeks? Yeah, yeah. Basically, Gary Lineker's latest pension pot. Uh, but the <laughs> the program about uh, Maradona was. And something really shocked me about that because in that one we just think of the Irish players, you know, because for some reason the Irish players were going to feel it worse. But yeah. even there's a bit in in that where Maradona is talking about how ridiculously hot it was and how stupid it was that they were playing in in, in that heat, and I was like. What you mean? The Argentinian could feel the heat, even at yeah, my right yeah. old age. That surprised me. Yeah, yeah. You know? well, they're going to have to sort that out for twenty twenty six, then, won't they? Because uh, that will be the same, you know, climate. Mexico is probably yeah, just as play, hot as we well. We want to play in Canada, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we want to play in Canada. Um, other sort of images that stand out. It's obviously anything to do with the USA team and how over the top they were. Yes, the kit, but Alexi Lalas, um, you know, Marcelo Biola, all this flag around him. How well they'd actually did for a team that at that point weren't very good in fairness and they were still embracing soccer as you were uh, Roger Miller becoming the oldest goal scorer in World Cup history Alex Selenko's five goals um, again another island moment with Ray Houghton so I mean a lot of moments there to digest but one last stab for France 98 because again there's a lot of a lot of love for France 98 in the moments in there um, you've already put your hat in that corner Joel so w- what stands out for you from uh, France 98 uh, oh bye Jingo well Young Michael's goal. Of course. Let's start there from <laughs> from the uh, from the and, and that really was an announcement of him on the world stage. I mean, we kind of suspected what sort of player he was, but uh, I mean, absolutely, uh, just wonderful. You know, um, there was some stuff. Hold on, I'm just going to go into my notes. I'm not doing a very good job of defending this here. You know, Zidane becoming <laughs> the megastar that yeah. he was. Um, Obviously, the goal uh, by Bergkamp against we'll Argentina, yeah. which we will talk about. I found that a really good fact today. About um, you remember when Suka had to score, he had to take the same penalty twice against Romania yes. because the first time there was encroachment. Now, an interesting fact Go is on. if you watch the penalties, and I went back and looked at this, Suka puts his fingers to his neck before he takes the penalty each time. 
And I've since found out today, doing my research, in my notes, there's one for the bingo card, um, he was waiting for his pulse to fall to under 120 before he would take his penalties. Bloody hell. See, yeah. he, that's why I, I love Davos Seeker. See, cool as a cucumber. He knows how to score goals, that boy. And obviously, you know, the Nike, Ronaldo stuff, yeah. uh, which I'm sure we'll get to in scandals later on. Beckham sending off. I just love 98. I just, to me, it feels like the World Cup, the World Cup as we know it now, I yeah. think, with, with the sort of lot of superstars that we know now, obviously the hype that lives around it. But to me, it feels like the first 21st century um, which obviously I know it wasn't, but you understand what I mean. The first twenty-first century World Cup, in yeah. it, it just—it seemed the world of football seemed to have moved on so much in in the years between nineteen ninety-four and nineteen eighty-eight that I think that's the first proper modern era World Cup for me. And yeah, Mons galore like that. Yeah. Sashi, anything to add? I, I agree with Joe. I was when I was watching, it, I thought that it felt like it, we were on the cusp of the you know the explosion of football in the World Cup we see now. Did, did you get that feeling as well? Uh, yeah, but possibly not at the time. I think definitely 94, 90, and 90 feel like real. Well, you know, you can look back now and go, that, God, they felt like from different eras, where 98 felt sort of part of the modern era. Yeah. Um, in terms of moments, I mean, I think we're probably going to touch on all of these as we go in, in different categories. So I won't go into them, but I will say uh, France 98 is the setting for one of my favourite football anecdotes of all time. It's a story Kevin Gallagher's told, um, I think, on various uh, forums. But uh, obviously, Brazil, Scotland, opening game yeah. of the World Cup. And you guys may not remember this, but I certainly don't. But it, the kickoff was actually delayed in that game because the opening ceremony overran. Oh, so, <laughs> yeah, so the players, uh, they couldn't actually come out for their warm-up as well before the game. So that's a warm-up uh, inside the, sort of around their dressing room. So the Scotland players were kind of, you know, obviously so pumped up for this game, nervous as well, excited, playing Brazil, the world champions, and they're all doing their shuttle runs and whatever, stretches and stuff. And Gallagher and a couple of players had done all their warm-ups, nothing else to do, just waiting to go out. And they thought, oh, let's pop around and see what the... Uh, the Brazilians are doing because I think the door to their dressing room was open and they peered inside and they saw just uh, about four or five Brazilians just stood around the boombox just dancing and I think they just, <laughs> it just sort of summed up the different sort of philosophies to football and uh, I mean to be fair it was probably complacency in Brazilian yeah. side because they, they just about won yeah. the end didn't they? Yeah, it was, it was a quite two one and, game yeah. yeah so maybe maybe Scotland had it right but just yeah two images summed up the difference between uh, cultures in, in South America and Europe and uh, yeah but yeah, but yeah, I'm sure we'll touch on most of the classic moments as we go because they are based around goals and yeah. scandals and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, the only one I was going to add was Romania's hair because that yeah. was oh, one of the most I forgot about that. Yeah, ridiculous moments. Well, I, I don't. I think to this day they don't know why they did it. I think it was just a laugh. I thought it was a bet or something to do with the games, but actually they just they just turned up for the next game when they all had blonde dyed hair. You know, Dan Petrescu looking like Fox Mulder and Ily Dimitrescu and all that lot. Yeah, that was a random moment. Okay, well let's let's make a decision. Um, I even though I am the USA '94 camp, I think just on the basis of certain moments and certain legacies that it left, I'm going Italia '90. For moments, um, Sashin. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm trying. I don't just say ninety because it's my favourite work. I'm trying to think. I think if it feels between ninety and ninety four, um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say ninety. I think, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think so. Just shades it. I, 
Yeah. Joel, any fight? You, you've lost, but any fight? Not the that, other I team? mean, not that it matters, but I would have said 1990 anyway. I think. Yeah. I wasn't, I think... You know, I'm not going to be. I'm not just going to vote for myself just for the sake of it. You know what I mean? I'm nothing if not fair. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's move on to something we didn't actually even touch on in that first category, and it's the, some of the games. I mean, trouble with the World Cup is that there are so many games, and it's going to get even bigger come um, 2022 when it's 40 whatever teams in it, which is ridiculous. And, and but these are much tighter. Even when we get to France 98, there is more games, but. Just just going through them again chronologically, looking at the games, a lot of them do involve England, the best game. So um, the list I've got here for Italian 90 is obviously England Cameroon, which is probably my favourite World Cup game of the decade. Um, England Germany, of course, in the semi final. Argentina Italy is also a great semi final. Then moving on to 94, Holland Brazil gets a lot of love. Bulgaria Germany, just for the, the outcome of it. Um, and then in 98, England Argentina is a great game. And, and, and then France Croatia, I've got as well. Um, so, I mean, there's a good mix in there. Joel, I mean, what games stand out for you? Who, where do you think the best games did you enjoy the most? What tournament? I think, you know, and it's being sort of um, slagged off really by people who are probably a little bit older than us and saying that Italian 90 probably wasn't as good as yeah. you remember because there was a lot of defensive games mm. and it was probably the height of Italy and Italy being seen as the best league in the world. And obviously you've got a World Cup played in Italy. So a lot of people were, you know, playing in that sort of Catanaccio defensive style. But, um, I think the one that stands out for me that you've already mentioned there is the three all Cameroon uh, and England, where England were, you know, winning, losing, and then just rescue the game. And that for me is I was 13 or 14 at the time and just it's one of those schoolboy Roy the Rovers types of games, you know, which could have only would have, can only be topped if we'd won 4 3, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that that's the one that stands out for me out of um, Italia 90. Mm. And and the other two. I mean, is there any game in the other two that that sort of make make up for the Italian ninety? In ninety eight, I remember um, Holland beating Korea five yeah, okay. South Korea yeah. five 0 That yeah. was a five goals from five players in that one. I think over Marsbergkamp, Van Hoydonk. Um, I can't remember who else. Mm. Probably one of the De Beers, Not sure. Um, and Croatia beating Germany three um, nil at that one as well at ninety eight, which I thought was a cracking game, really. And your mate Davasuka getting getting the third just a proper upset set and you know I don't want to be a typical Englishman but it's always nice to see Germany get beat oh it was yeah um, 94 as well with Mr Lenchkoff as well um, uh, Sashin what games stand out for you across the, the, the three World Cups I mean I, th- I think 90 obviously said, have got some good ones England Argentina I think that's a game from 98 that had everything how about you yeah, I agree with uh, I agree with the shout of Cameroon versus England. I think that's yeah. a really underrated game in that mm. tournament. And I was watching back. Well, I say I was watching back. It was on that BBC uh, review that I had on at work yesterday. But um, England were so lucky in that game, and they looked. Lackaday- I mean, we forget England were quite an old squad in '90, yeah. and I think I think that was a game where they were really given the runaround by uh, well, not necessarily a younger team, but a team that seemed fitter than them. So yeah, as, as Joel touched on, that was a real real epic game uh, let's obviously not forget England West Germany from 90 I think it was yeah. an absolute epic game and had so much going to it from 94 um, Colombia Romania was a really exciting mm, game good goal as well yeah. yeah and I think that yeah, had you scored a, I think it was that game he scored an yeah. incredible goal where he's, he's, he's lobbed it from the yeah, from deep left position goal. yeah yeah, absolutely um, I think that's an important game because I remember getting to that World Cup Colombia quite heavily tipped to, to do quite well and Romania, I think a bit of an unknown quantity. And Romania won, and that was a moment where you probably thought, oh, actually, Colombia maybe not as good as we think they are, and Romania are better than we think they are. Um, I think Romania-Argentina from '94, really, really good game. That was another one. Um, Holland-Brazil, 
with mm. Branco free kick yeah. was a was another cup. Oh, then, I was going to mention him. That was going to be my middles retired. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And uh, ninety eight. Yeah, I think this. I might just preemptively and say I think this is where ninety eight might win because I do think some great games. I think Argentina England is an absolute classic. Yeah, uh, epic game. Uh, Germany Croatia. Uh, Croatia obviously winning that one. I think France Croatia is a great semi final. Two one. Real tussle between two high quality teams, and obviously France just about came the end. I mean, Germany, Yugoslavia, and again, that had a bit of narrative around it political narrative USA, Iran, yeah, yeah. Uh, from 98, which uh, I remember at the time I wasn't sort of completely clued up on my polit- geopolitics. I remember even then thinking, yeah, that's, that that's quite big, quite yeah. Big, yeah, it's tasty. So, um, that, can, I just, yeah. can I just say, I think that's the first time that geopolitics has been mentioned on well, this podcast. You're welcome. After about eight episodes, so welcome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. That's what so, you're yeah, session. <laughs> yeah, so some absolute classic. But I agree. I think you, you said at the start there, Ash. I think England, we saw forget, yeah, it's only in the 90s, and they weren't even at one of the World Cups in the 90s. They've involved in a heck of a lot of big. Uh, World Cup games. Yeah, I think I, I tend to agree with you. I think uh, overall, I think the even though I've got a lot of love for England Cameroon, I do think it's underrated in terms of the storyline thread in that game. Using a wrestling term, um, I think ninety eight. Oh God, I'm, I'm going against ninety four again. I think ninety eight just lent. I think England Argentina is such a game that literally has everything in it. It's such a back and forth. You've got red cards. You've got you know penalties. You've got the story of Sol Campbell's disallowed goal. I love France Croatia. It's a fantastic game. Lillian Turam scoring his only ever two international goals in a semi final of a World Cup so I yeah I think I'd go 98 as well Joe where would you well where and, would... and and the final as well which had its own it's sort final. of set of drama which we're going to get to I'm sure um, but that had its own drama beforehand and you know you remember the confusion before that game and everything everything that happened afterwards so and 98 yeah yeah go on I'm yeah. with you on that one yeah and I think you're right it has the best final I think the, what lets down both 90 and 94 is the finals were very drab close especially 1994 the final is the whole thing that lets the whole tournament down it's a terrible game of football terrible so yeah I think yeah overall just shading it 98 okay okay one each for night so so far 1998 it's not looking good for USA 94 at the moment um and it's not going to look good in this one as well because I know what's coming shocks as um you've already gone into Mr Mr Nakarani a Cameroon Argentina not just a big shock in World Cup but big shock in football um, it's not, re- you know, as far as the World Cup go, Cameroon was shocking all the way through. But this, as you've already said, is probably one of the biggest shocks ever. And there are little ones throughout. So 90, so is, is a good shout for shocks, do you say? I don't know, actually, because it's got the biggest one, Cameroon, Argentina. But I was going through the list and maybe because I, you know, I was so young, I don't know how good the teams yeah. were at that time. So, so the only one I could really pick out was Republic of Ireland and Romania. And that's not necessarily because Romania were great and Republic of Ireland rubbish, but just um, as Joel's touched on before, it was a huge moment for the Republic of Ireland, first World Cup. Um, and it was a shock in that sense that they'd even progressed because what that, that took them into the quarterfinals, didn't it? Yeah. I believe they were yeah. Italy. So obviously that, that's huge. I mean, you, you guys will have to take over this one. For 90, I just can't remember... Any seismic? I, I tell you what is it. I tell you what is a what is a shock, and it's probably not considered a shock to the English, but certainly to the Scottish. That's exactly Costa, right. Yeah, yeah. Costa Rica won. Scotland Costa Rica nil course, was a bit yeah, of a yeah. shock. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they they call it one of their darkest days in Scotland's history. I think, uh, and Scotland were absolutely dreadful that day. I think it was. Uh, I've written it down. Juan Cayaso. Scott. And, uh, Can I just give you a little Costa Rica-based fact, which I found out yesterday? Do I it. didn't oh, aware of this at all. So Costa Rica played in red against Scotland. Yeah. Their next two um, group games against Brazil and Sweden, they played in black and white because they borrowed kits from Juventus because I think the games were in Turin, and they wanted to get support from from locals in Turin to come out and support them. So they they said they were going to play in black and white. Juventus's colours. 
I don't remember that. I just presume they played him. Yeah, I think they. I thought they just played him red all the way through. I mean, if we want to go, if we want to go back for one of the biggest shocks in World Cup history, uh, if you want to talk about the local supporting aside, when all. um, all the Middlesbrough fans turned out at Ayrson Park to watch um, Italy. I think they got beat by Korea. Korea, yeah. In that one, right, and all yeah. the Borough fans yeah, yeah. were singing and shouting and adopted the Korean side for, for their team. So it's it's kind of quite a nice, neat trick, I think, from, from smaller sides probably yeah. to, uh, to try to raise uh, raise up the uh, the local population of the grounds they're playing in. I think, you know, if they can get tickets, I don't know how likely it would be now for any locals to get tickets. I don't know how that's going to be in Russia, for example, but it is quite a nice idea to try to get the locals on your side. Mm. There's a great talk of the kits, though, that Scotland away kit they wore in that game. That's uh, it's an underrated kit. And, uh, John Devlin doesn't like it, friend of the show, Kit Oracle, but yeah, it's one of my favourites. They obviously, the Scottish, don't really revel in it because of that defeat. Um, we can move on I to mean, years. there is, if we go on, are we going on to 94 in Do terms it. of shots now? Um, Bulgaria two, yeah, Germany one. It's, it's yeah, it's still sh- yeah, it's still one of those. I, I watched. I remember being shocked at the time. I was old enough to then know that you know the might of Germany who knocked England out were the world champions. This ball- well, it's just like three minutes, wasn't it? It's yeah. Stoichkov with his free kick, and then you know Lechkov, which I think our friend Sid has just written a piece about, Mister Lechkov, which I think will be appearing soon. Getting his ball dead on the end of uh, was it Yankov's cross? Think, yes, yeah. God, it was because yeah. that's one of the comedy names of football. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean. You know that was a that was quite a crazy one. I mean, Bulgaria and Romania had pretty good runs at USA '94, so they're kind of their their roots their roots in, in in those tournaments are sort of riddled with surprises and shocks. And I don't think Bulgaria have been there since, have they? No, and I'd say this was the tournament where you, there were teams you got quite far that you didn't expect because Nigeria, again, African nation, they came in did very well, much better than people expected. Sweden finished much higher than people expected so I mean Sashin where do you rate the shocks of USA 94? Yeah well I think I think Germany Bulgaria is a standout one let's remember Italy Republic of Ireland of course, as well yeah, Ray, uh, in the, Ray Houghton's goal another one as well as Romania Argentina that game I spoke about um, Romania winning 3-2 Battistute given Argentina actually sorry the equaliser after Dimitrescu had scored and then Dimitrescu got another one and then Hadji and then Balbo got one for Argentina I actually missed that game because one of the factors about USA Night 4 was a time difference and yeah. I was on a, quite a strict bedtime at that time and my <laughs> mum told me I couldn't stay up any late until 9.30 because I think it was on a Sunday that game at school the next day and that game kicked off around 9.30 or 10 o'clock so I, I totally missed it but so I didn't see when it happened but uh, yeah by all accounts that was a great game I think um, yeah and Italy Republic of Ireland is for me a standout as well definitely mm. okay well so far I think 94 is just shading it which makes a change and I think 98 probably can't match up to even the other two I mean Croatia as you mentioned that their run to the semi-finals but I think by the time you looked at that team, it didn't become a shock when they beat Germany mm. as much because we'd seen how good they were. Jamaica, obviously, were in that World Cup and they got their first victory against Japan. Robbie Earl, famously. But there wasn't... I, don't I think, think it's it was... said, you know, you're getting into the world of geopolitics again. That's twice it'll be entering the bingo card. <laughs> it's a new bingo card. <laughs> Iran beating the United States yeah. was considered quite a massive shot. I mean, that was uh, 2-1, I think, was yeah. it? Yeah, was it one? Was it? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, but yeah. The funniest thing after that was the Iranian captain Ali Dai said uh, they didn't take it seriously as the last match against Germany. <laughs> Just rubbing the salt in the, <laughs> salt in the wounds, really. <laughs> There you go. They're just trolling them. Early trolling from Early the Iranians. Trolling from the Iranians. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But in terms of like a Bulgaria or a Cameroon, I don't think there is a massive shock in France '98 in terms of like even 2002 when you had Senegal as well. So I'm ruling France '98 for shocks. Yeah. I think. Can I mention one game from France '98, which wasn't a massive shock, but I just remember at the time it was a little bit of a shock. It was Spain losing to Nigeria? Yes. Thinking their opening game in Nantes. 
Uh, yeah, that's today. Yeah, because Spain. Yeah, 13th of June yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, indeed, it was the anniversary today. Yeah, and Spain, you know, quite heavily for, uh, tipped and uh, Sunday Elise getting the, the late win on uh, about 78 minutes. But the reason that game stands in my mind, this is one of the beauties of the World Cup, and I'm going to have a load of this now as, as the tournament starts, is I remember that game being an early afternoon Saturday game around 12 o'clock, mm. maybe 1 o'clock. And it's just, that's the beauty of the World Cup, isn't it? These games on at these times, which are where you don't know, well, we do now, obviously, because football's on all the bloody time. But in 1980, when there wasn't that much football on TV. So let's have a game at 12, 1 o'clock on a Saturday. And just sit down and just watch it. And, you know, it's, it's, that's one of the treats, I think, of the World Cup. Games being on at different, unusual times. It always reminds me of Des Lynham's opening line to England and Tunisia, isn't it? Shouldn't you be at work? Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Classic Des. Um, okay, well, I'm laying my hat on the line. I'm saying shocks, USA 94, just for the teams that you didn't expect to go that far, plus the Bulgaria factor. I'm going with USA 94. Joe? I think, uh, having put it like that, I think, and because of the aforementioned brilliant runs of Sweden, Romania, Bulgaria, I think I'll have to go with you at USA 94. Yeah. Not necessarily for shock results, but basically for the shock of the teams who were getting along. The final, obviously, wasn't a shock, you know, Brazil, Italy, but... Uh, in terms of shock uh, and other shocks that happened, which we'll get to, <laughs> Maradona. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll go with you with uh, USA 94, Ash. Uh, Sashin, any, any love for the Cameroon one left? But I think we'll, we've lost on this one. Yeah, no, I'm more than happy to give. I think for, for me, this is an easy one. Yeah, USA 94, definitely. Good, good stuff. Just easy winner, yeah. Well, one each. I hope this doesn't continue. <laughs> but, <laughs> that, that'll, that'll be the, the, uh, the end of it. But okay, superstars. This is going to be a bloody difficult one. Um, just sort of looking at the type and the quality of players in each World Cup. I've got a list of some of the big names from each. So let's start with Italian 90. So I've got this of Matthias, Bremer, Gaza, Maradona, Scalacci, Baggio, Miller, Baresi, Maldini, and of course Gary Lineker. Moving on to Jason 94, which there's a lot of colour in this one in terms of the players that lit up that World Cup in Klinsmann and Hanji and Stoichkov, Romario, Bebeto, Dunga, Baggio back again. Maldini back again, Burkamp and some of the Nigerian team like JJ Kocha. And then France 98, you know, the new generation you could call this with Owen and Beckham, Zidane, Ronaldo, Davoshukia, Burkamp, Bartes, Desai and Laudrup. So this one's hard to break down, I think. Um, where, admit, having said those names, Sashim, where, what is your first instance to say what had the best star quality, which World Cup? Yeah, I think this is really tight, this one. This is a really, really tricky one. Um... <laughs> I really don't know. It's hard, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think if you look at ninety, that feels like a World Cup where it's mainly attackers, uh, the ones you mentioned, yeah, um, and creative midfielders. What I like about ninety eight is I think it's a bit more of an even spread. So you mentioned him earlier. I think Lilian Turan was a star yes, in ninety eight. Yeah. He was just a phenomenal defender. Two goals in the semi final. Uh, Robert Prozanecki, I remember sort of thinking was in a sen- you know was sensational in that, in he was that excellent young player team. in the tournament, wasn't he? I think. Was he? Yeah. So, so he, yeah. Yeah. I remember just being close made that three-five-two formation, and uh, I mean, I think he was at the base of that midfield, and he he was great. Uh, we had Marcel Desailly at the back for France as well. He was he was absolutely superb. I thought Sol Campbell actually yeah. was excellent for England. So that they had a bit more of a spread. Okay, that's a good way. To I look just it. don't know. I find it really hard. To no, we've got to break it down somewhere, and that may be the yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe the best way to look at it. And, and looking at that France team as a whole, bar their attackers in Stefan Givarge yeah. and Christophe Dugarry, who probably weren't on that list. Um, Joe, where, where, what do you think? Where, I mean, this is a difficult one. What, what sort of names stand out for you? I'm going back to what I said about um, France '98 b- becoming the modern football that we know, and yeah. in which case, 
there seems to be more superstars because a lot of them we got to see play over here as well whereas before in in 90 and certainly by 94 it was changing but uh you know we saw a lot of these players that were you know some of them weren't great in, in this country you know if you if we look at Veron mm-hmm. for example yeah. or Brad Sedgwick Davids who you know were coming to the end of things well not Veron but uh, so I think as in in terms of your superstar footballers as we know it now you know and Beckham and Owen and all the rest of it I think I'd go with France 98 to be honest even though even though just for the pure amount and as Sachin said the spread of the types of players that there was whereas you could probably pinpoint it to about five to eight players in the other two there's probably 20 to 25 legitimate superstars in France 98 so that's where my uh, flag is planted yeah no I think I agree I mean you know Gabriel Brescia is another name we haven't mentioned he was at that World Cup as well. yeah I mean I don't think he gets enough mentions on this on this show we need we need to do more Batistuta based stuff because such a great of that uh, decade um, I, I find this one hard because 94 for me I look at that Brazil team and Romario and Bibeto, that front two and Dunga and uh, even Tafarel in goal. And then you've got the, you know, Hadji and Stoichkov who felt like the same player at the same time, even though they play for two different nations. They're equally as bloody well good as well. So it's hard. Kinsman is another one, but he was across, to, you know, both 90. I think 90, you, you kind of got that split of a lot of players coming towards the end of their careers, like Maradona, like Baresi, uh, like Lineker. Whereas there wasn't so much of the new generation in terms, only really Gaza. I mean, Roger Miller was a sort of standout name, but he obviously wasn't a youngster. So and Scalacci was a bit of a surprise. So, okay, reluctantly. Oh, Did you know? Just sorry, jumping in while you mentioned Roger Miller. I I, I heard this story today while I was doing my reading uh, that Miller was on holiday before the nineteen ninety. World Cup and they had to put out yeah. a shout to find him and get him away from holiday. Yeah, because a lot of the squad weren't happy that he was um, he was called in. Apparently, because I, I was when I did my uh, we were doing research for that Cameroon Argentina game on the show the other day. Yeah, I read that a lot of the squad didn't like the fact that he was called in. They were worried that they were going to be so bad they needed more of an experienced head. So yeah, but yeah, he was on the beach literally, like um, <laughs> like Denmark were in '92 uh, yeah. for Euro '92. So okay, I think that's a win for '98 then. So at the moment. We're looking at France 98 as the, as the early front. <laughs> Didn't see this one coming. Right, okay. Scandals and, sh- and sort of controversies. This is, um, again, there's so much to talk about in terms of each World Cup. Um, we already touched on um, Frank Reichard and uh, Rudy Vullers spat at uh, Italia 90, literally using that word. Um, yes, in 94, I mean, there's the sad and the, and the horrible, to be honest. Not only we talked about the heat and, uh, and then, of course, there's Diego Maradona and what happened with him and his uh, drug cheating as you allegedly it was is that the cocktail of drugs is the term i used uh, barry davis used on that documentary i was talking then there's the sad story of escobar at columbia obviously uh, somebody decided to take it out on him after his own goal eliminated columbia and sadly he, he passed away when he was shot later that year which is an absolutely disgraceful way to treat anybody like that um and then looking at um, france 98 and the big Ronaldo scandal in the final, um, the invention of golden goals, David Beckham and that kick on Diego Simeone. So there's a lot to, to chew the fact on. Um, I think 90, Sashi, and I think outside of um, Rudy Voller and Rijkaard, it was, it, there wasn't an, a big scandal. I mean, there was still a little bit element of hooliganism going on for the England, but we didn't have the big scandals of the other two World Cups, maybe. Yeah, no, literally the case. The only, the only, I mean, the notes I've got here, 1990 scandal, Rijkaard Voller. I can't yeah. actually remember any other scandals. <laughs> just a scandal-free World Cup, also practically a goal-free World Cup because there were so few. But um, which will which will come on to later, perhaps. Yeah, if, no. we, if we want to go on to you know what happened later on with Rijkaard and Voller, is they actually went off and made an advert together, didn't they? Joking about it. 
Oh, well, that's ruined it. That's yeah. absolutely yeah. ruined it. So it's not even a proper scandal. So, yeah, there were zero scandals. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Should we celebrate the fact that there wasn't... Yeah, it's fine, yeah. For me, it's not always about that. If you yeah. look at the scandals, the ones we're talking about, for obvious reasons, they're ones that really put a dampener on it. Yeah. I mean, if we go on to 94, I was gutted when Maradona left because, you know, I had, I was too young for 86. 90 didn't really do much. And I thought, 94, here's my chance to watch this legend of football do something scores that goal against Greece and then we don't see him again and then obviously Escobar is, is an absolute tragedy so no scandals are not good things and Ronaldo in 98 man, again superstar we didn't really see it his best in the biggest game of his life at that stage mm. uh, maybe we should award this to Italian 90 for not having the, the scandal that you know because no one wants to see what happened with Escobar no one wants to see you know it's Maradona leave a World Cup despite what he was doing um, and you certainly don't want to see effigies of David Beckham being hung in the streets no again. exactly no whereas you know a little spat on the picture right, I don't like gobbing at people it's disgusting but you know everything bar the gobbing you know a little bit of fight between the two nations or uh, historical rivals I've got no problem with that so maybe we should award this Italian 90 on the basis that you know there was nothing really controversial outside of that um, I've got one scandal from 1990, actually. Chris Chris Waddle cut his mullet off before the, uh, <laughs> yes. the semi-final against yes. West Germany. And then we all see, know what happened. The magic. So, like, so what you're saying is that Chris Waddle is some sort of Samson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Somebody, a German, I'm going to say, uh, let's say Bremer, came into that England's hotel the night before the game, cut his mullet off. And that's why England didn't win the World Cup that year. So there you go. There's a, like there's held a... it aloft like He-Man and said, I have power. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, if that if Waddle had had his hair, that shot that hit the inside of the post in the semi final, that clearly would have gone in. That would have gone in. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know the link, but it's like the butterfly effect. Isn't yeah, it's it? completely. That is, I'm blaming the fact that we went out all that on Chris Wallet's model and awarding yeah. the non-scandal scandal category <laughs> to Italian ninety. Um, Joe, let's just quickly talk about France ninety eight anyway, because we can't talk about World Cups without talking about that weird thing that happened with Ronaldo in the final. We never got to the bottom of it. He was on the on the team sheet. He wasn't on the team sheet. He was ill. It was a Nike influence thing that he played. Um, it, it was such a bizarre way to start a World Cup final, wasn't it? Oh, I just remember my overriding memory of it is John Motson's absolute incredulity, if I've pronounced that word correctly, um, at, at the whole situation that they had been given team sheets with him on, then with him not on, then the whispers that it was Nike. And you've got to remember Nike, even... Like now, they're just the brand of you know between them and Adidas, the sports brand of sports brand. But then they seem to be making a real huge football push, whereas now they're accepted as probably the biggest name in in world football branding. But then they were really, really, really pushing it. And I mean, I'm not necessarily sure I believe it, but at the same time, you know, Ronaldo had had a slow start in the group games. I think he'd only scored against uh, Morocco, was it? And, and then came through and uh, really burst into life against Chile. I think he'd hit the bar, hit the post and scored twice, didn't he, in that game? Yeah. Then set up two when Brazil beat Denmark and then scored in the game against Holland in the semi-final. So he was certainly firing. So you've got to say what was going on. Had he had a panic attack? Had he, you know, was there something, some other issue going on? Was he injured? Were Nike putting on the pressure? And I don't think we've ever really... No. Had it explained to us by uh, by anybody at any time, it would be interesting to get the full story. I think obviously Ronaldo is still contracted tonight, so it's probably never going to come out there. But yeah, what a weird way you do, and that's the first time, certainly in the World Cup, that commercialism like that had been seen as a factor in anything really. 
Oh, because of that airport advert, wasn't it? I blame the airport yeah, well, advert yeah, for that one. With Janini on it, and yeah, all the rest of it. Yeah. yeah, so, okay, so 90 win scandal for the fact that it's the nicest World Cup of the decade. Um, before we move on to our uh, next category, um, we're going to a little bit of an interview, and it's a little bit of a cheat again. Um, we did have uh, Marcelo Balboa was going to talk to us from USA 94. Unfortunately, scheduling problems mean we just couldn't squeeze him in, but maybe we'll get him just be over the summer and we'll talk more USA 94. Instead, um, Gary Lineker, do you for you? How about Gary Lineker? Yes, this is me speaking to Gary at the, the BBC World Cup launch a few weeks ago. Um, a few others are thrown in because we want a round table and there are some quotes about 2018 as well but it's still some a few memories from the man who lit up Italia 90 and 86 as well keeping it 80s. So here's me talking to Gary Lineker on Alive and Kicking. Hey this is Alexi Lalas and you're listening to Alive and Kicking the 90s football podcast. Remember, keep it 90s. It's hard. It's hard. You can pretend you know, but you, none of us do. Um, I, I, if I had to pick anyone, I'd go Spain. Um, got a lot of very good footballers. They'll keep the ball, bags of experience. They're not as strong as they were when they won three on the bounce, three major tournaments on the bounce, but um, they've still got a lot to offer. Um, but you can't see anyone with massive confidence. There's, you know, France have got bucket load of players they'll have a real chance if they can get togetherness and, a, and then get a system that suits them and play Kante this time not like the Euros um, so that'll give them a chance um, Brazil history tells us that it'll probably be a European team but I, Brazil have got firepower but I, I don't like their system I don't like the way they play I don't like the three holding players I, I think it's, it's that I think the game's moved on a little bit from that. I think you've got to be a bit more open in your play and attacking. Um, Argentina relied, I think, the probably the weakest Argentina side I can think of, bar the genius they have, which always gives them a slight chance. Um, and after that, you've... I don't I, just, I can't think of anyone else really. Germany, obviously, because that goes without saying they'll have a chance. But it's, I think it's it's pretty open. I mean, it's open amongst unusual suspects, but it's open. People talk about Belgium, but I don't think they'll win it. But I think they might have a decent run. The quarterfinals are England again. If we did, well, again, we have. It's been a while since we got to quarterfinals. <laughs> I think it'd be a good effort to get to quarterfinals. I think we're we team in development. We're, they're not, you know, they're very inexperienced. And um, I think in four years' time, six, two years' time, even we'll be competitive. Four years' time, I think we'll have a real chance. But this one, we haven't got enough world-class players, I don't think, and we're a bit weak in a couple of areas. So I think if I think if he sells this as just you know this is learning curve, experience, you know, let's see how we go, just enjoy it, give a few of the young players a, a feeling for tournament football. I think that might be quite a good way of selling it to the public I don't not that I don't think too many people think we've got much of a chance but um, and then you never know you'll see how it goes but it'd be, I think it'd be good to win a, it's been a hell of a long time since we won a knockout match at World Cup <laughs> so um, hopefully we can at least do that okay what would be your starting 11 if it started to be oh, no. No. it's not my game <laughs> picking teams I'm not a pundit 
I, I, and, it, and the thing is, it doesn't start tomorrow. It depends what system he's going to play. And yeah. you know, well, there's no point in me picking my system. None whatsoever. I'd be. Would you rather England had an easy ride through the tournament, or would you rather we played the best teams when we come out of the group? I'd rather we had an easy ride. <laughs> but there's no such thing in a World Cup. It doesn't matter who you play, you see. Everyone goes, oh, Tunisia, Panama, blah. So, you know, they'll be, they'll be organised, they'll be competitive. They'll, they'll, you know, so it's, yeah. it's hard and you've got to, you know, you just need a little bit of a break in a World Cup, a little bit of something going your way, a little, you know, one good performance. You know, that's what happens. Yeah. Of the striking options... England have yeah. we, we look back to when you were playing there was a lot more how do you look how do you assess well, I the, I think the options? striking options is, is the strongest point to our side I think you know you've got Harry Kane who's one of the best in the world question you've got Vardy who gives you a totally different mm. dynamic um, especially you know if teams if teams want to press high against us you, t- you put Vardy on you can cause them all sorts of problems you've got Rashford who's brilliant on the left um, Sterling's been terrific all season for months you know forward wise Deli Ali just behind who gets goals. You've got you know that, that that area of the pitch compete with anyone. Yeah, competes with pretty much anyone. But it's about providing that area of the pitch with the right ammunition and to do that. But I like the way Gareth's preparing his team. I like the way he's developing them. I like the way we're trying to keep the ball and play properly. Um, I think he's probably given what we've got wise to play through at the back because yeah. I don't I don't think we've got an obvious central defensive partnership which is worrying yeah but it, it, it might help us you know let's be solid let's be solid because we have got something up the other end that can score so you know I think he's going the right way you've got to worry about the goalkeeping situation but let's hope we don't, <laughs> they don't have too much to do who do you have I don't know I, I've, I've been, I like Pope he's got no experience I mean Butland I think would probably be the one I went for at the moment because I'm not sure Pope will even make the squad but the only thing as well with Pope you don't know if he can play because Burnley don't play like that so you, know, you need to be able to play with your feet nowadays as a goalkeeper um, Pickford doesn't look ready for me Doesn't I think it's too soon for him you saw it the weekend I mean he's I doesn't yeah doesn't fill me with confidence and, and going in on the back of some fairly horrendous errors is not yeah, what you want. Joe Hart's time's probably come and gone, so we, we're in a, it's, it's an issue. But I, I I liked him before his injury and he's you know and Stoke had gone down and stuff. But I think he's probably the safest bet my, personally. Um, and you know I've, I've liked him a lot and I think he's got a bit about him which you need in a World Cup as a goalkeeper you can't you can't be a bit overexcitable or timid you've got to be you know self-confident and I, I see that in him so maybe who are the biggest contenders for the Golden Boot do you think Kane can actually win it depends how England play you need to get to the quarterfinals to have a chance realistically mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's fairly obvious that you know but the Golden Boot can throw up a surprise one. You, occasionally it's a bit quirky and someone gets five in a game well, against a team that's... Mm. Yeah, but, he, but they were good goals and yeah. against good opposition. It wasn't freaky, it was deserved. But you can get that. It's World Cup, it's, you know, the Golden Boot, is all, it, it's not very often the best player, mm. apart from 86. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's no uh, well, there's obvious people that might you know, contend for it. Like, obviously, Harry Kane's one. 
Griezmann possibly or mm. Mbappe might come through um, there's well obviously Messi or Ronaldo I mean they score a goal a game on average so one of those is going to have a chance if their team does alright and and then it and then it but it comes to be Muller is in another World Cup he scores he scored 10 World Cup goals off the top of my head so you, you never know but it's, it's it, you need it's normally from one of the teams that progresses quite away in the, at least in the court um, so we'll see you mentioned 86 there I mean when it comes to World Cup time how often do you cast your mind back to 86 and 90 and your own memories uh, so of if, World Cups to be perfectly honest I, I don't and that, <laughs> but I am frequently asked about it <laughs> no, I bet you are well so they were great World Cups for those you. moments then I do I don't sit there at home going I think you should Gary I really think you should <laughs> I should do it more often but when I'm asked about it obviously which is fairly frequently um, especially before World Cups I've done about 8 million interviews about 86 and 90 but um, yeah great memories I mean it's, 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 the, it's the big stage it's the t- as a goal scorer there's not one of the people in you know whether it be Messi or Ronaldo whether it be Harry Kane or Neymar, there's not one of them that will not think about being the top scorer in the World Cup because it's, it's, it's one of the it's one of the few individual things you can win within football. It's like the it's it's not quite the same as but it's close to it's the hundred meters in the Olympics. Yeah, you know, as an individual basis, although football's obviously a team game, so the World Cup's the one thing that really counts is winning the thing. But for the strikers in it, that's the that's the second best. That's the second best. So it'll, oh, they have the, you know, the, they'll have the player of the tournament yeah. now as well, which is a different matter. Um, so, but in terms of goal scoring, that's that's where you're judged, and no one can argue with it because it's a statistic. Mm. It's not like a best actor award. People can have a different. Yeah. No, this is the top scorer. It's easy. Mm. Is there anything you're not looking forward to the World Cup? Like, oh no, I think VAR would be interesting. I'll give us something else to talk about. Okay. Um, I, lo- I, I think the premise of VAR is right. It's just been totally misused, certainly in here. Um, way too many decisions. It should just be for the absolute howlers. And if they do that, it'd be a massively good thing. If they start doing three or four decisions a game and then and changing ones that actually are just a matter of opinion then I don't see the purpose of it at all I think it's got to be 100% clear for them to change a decision if it's not don't um, so if, once that comes in which it will once it in time then I think it'll be a really good um, thing um, it's just it's just that if they use it you know too much and it's all a little bit kind of ambiguous then then it could be problematical and it could make games go on a bit too but hopefully it can just be like one incident in every three games for a thing that and then it'd be good but depends how it's used but I'm, I'm quite is there anything else you don't want to see I, well I don't want to see you know none of us want to see any trouble we don't want to see any fighting we don't want to see any racism we don't want to see any you know any kind of stuff like that um, we'll worry about things pre-World Cups and generally they're alright when the thing starts itself with you know some fighting hopefully not involved with English fans um, so you know they're the things you don't want but normally once it starts you know you're getting gross in the football it's this country and that and then we look in the next game let's see these players and everything all those other things kind of just dissipate 
Gary, what is going to happen if England win the World Cup? Like, how monumental? Can you talk me through what you think? Well, Can you put it into words? It's more likely. It's more, there's far more chance in four years' time. <laughs> but, I, yeah. Well, it'd go bonkers. It'd go bonkers when we got to the semi-final yeah. in Italia 90. You knew we, we weren't really close. So. I mean, people say, oh, I don't care so much about the England team now. But they will if they start doing well. Yeah. Get behind. I know what it's like. It'll be... It'll be insanely wonderful and then it will be bloody heartbreaking. <laughs> How much of a triumph would it be? Would it be like a bigger feat than Leicester? No, because it's a knockout. Yeah. What Leicester did was the biggest team miracle, I think, in the history of sport. Yeah. <laughs> it's just mad. It was impossible. It was impossible with that players there. It was, it was bonkers. But no, because you know you get through a group, you're three matches from the final. So it can't be. You can get lucky. So we've seen poor teams win competitions. You know, we've seen it in the Champions League. So it can happen in the World Cup. It doesn't usually in the World Cup. It's normally, you know, it's nearly always the big nations, but, but you never know. Who do you fancy? You mentioned a few names in there, surprise stars. You mentioned Sane. You got anyone else that may... The thing is, we all know every player now. Yeah. We all know them. It's not like the old days where you, the only chance you saw them was at the World Cup. Oh, we've seen all the players in the Champions League. We yeah. see all the play, you know, all the kids know who they are. Now. They're all going there playing these manager games and these PlayStation, whatever they're called, FIFA <laughs> thing and all that. I mean, I don't. But um, so we all know who they are. So there's no surprise. You say all oh, the surprise. I'll say something like, my kid, "Oh, I think this kid might be a surprise." Everyone. Yeah. What do you mean surprise? We've known about him for years. Yeah. Yeah. I bought him on, on manager when he was 14. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, oh, That's your kids talking for sure. <laughs> so you know, you've got to know your stuff. But yeah. we do know our stuff because we watch endless amounts of football. Yeah. Um, so there's there's no surprise. You could say the young players. That's I yeah. Think, I think like someone like Kylian Mbappe is going to yeah. Sane, brilliant players that we. I'm not going to throw any surprises out because because we know them. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd like to see you know someone England like Trent Alexander-Arnold is going to be a sensational player. Yeah. Um, so is Loftus Cheek. You know, so young players coming through. The let's see. <laughs> Okay, there. Yeah, talking about he should talk more about Tally 90 when he wants to because he, you know, he had a great tournament. We're talking about Tally 90, but also the other tournaments, and we've moved on to a section I think we're going to enjoy talk about. And for me, I already know there's a clear winner in my head, but we'll see if the guys agree. We're talking goals, and there's lots of goals to talk about. Um, so I'll just go over to Sashi in our Tally 90 field and talk about the goals of Tally 90. We're talking Mateus, Baggio, and Platt mainly, aren't we? We are, yeah. I thought before I do that, I might just, because uh, I've dug these figures out, talking about how, the total number of goals at the three World Cups Ooh, we're talking about. Yeah. So, oh, stats. Ita- yeah. yeah, Italia 90, 115. Mm-hmm. France 98. Sorry, USA 94, 141. And France 98, 171. Yeah. So, oh. barely any goals at Italia 90 compared to the other two. Yeah. France 98, yeah, and absolutely glad. Well, I think France many, 98. How many games the... were they in France 98? Yeah, yeah, there were more games. There were more games. There were more yeah. games. France 98 actually got the joint highest number of goals in World Cup history alongside uh, the last World Cup, Brazil 2014. Yeah, so in terms of goals, so obviously not a great goal, but Oman Beek's goal against Argentina, uh, iconic for me, really. Uh, Lothar Mateus against Yugoslavia, we oh, talked about, yeah. is a phenomenal goal. I think you just mentioned him, you just interviewed him. Gary Lineker for. England against West Germany. I don't think that goal's spoken about a lot, enough, and I think it's been overshadowed, obviously, by what happened with yeah. Gascoigne in the penalty shootout. It's a great goal. The way he takes that ball, that Paul Parker's cross on his chest. He's surrounded by three Germans. Keeps his cool and rifles into the corner. I think it's a great goal. He's a great goal. Um, yeah. 
Toto Scalacci scores a really good goal against Uruguay. Is that uh, a chip? Where, yeah. Well, more than that, yeah, he just wallops it from yeah. outside the yeah. air. Real, uh, real thunder bastard of a shot. Um, Bakio <laughs> v Czechoslovakia, iconic goal. Uh, I've got that f- written down. Yeah. yeah, it's one of my favourites. I think John Watson's commentary is great on it, where he says that's the goal we've all been waiting for. But I watched the goal again this afternoon. I don't know what you think, Joel. It's actually not really that good. It does come from quite way out. I think on the just inside Italy's half, I think, on, on the mm. left-hand side. He actually only beats one player. It's because the Czechoslovakian defence just back off so much. Yeah. He's, he's able to make goal. so much progress. Uh, but it's still quite iconic, I think. There's a similar goal that I think is better in the same tournament, and that's Ogris for um, Austria against the USA. Where oh, I watched that goal earlier, yeah. He does beat about four or five players. And also, um, the Greasers... Hearty lob, as described by Brian Moore in the commentary, <laughs> uh, versus South Korea for Belgium, which is really a lovely, lovely, lovely dink with his right, the side of his right foot that loops over the uh, South Korean keeper, which I think is lovely. And, and the words hearty lob really make me. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. And David Platt, obviously, I think is one of the greatest Platt, yeah. goals. I mean, mm. when you talk about volleys and techniques, that is up there with the very, very best of them. Um, that Baggio goal, it's no Roy Wegley against Leeds, is it? Let's be honest. You won't. You, no. Let's be honest. Come on. Oh, there we go. Textbook QPR. You've got, you got, you got to get that in there. Yeah. I could have mentioned can Paul just, Parker as well. He was playing yeah, keeper yeah. at the time. He was. Well, we, could call, we could talk about Paul Parker's mistake that led to the goal oh, against yeah. West Germany if you want. You it was Man United's Paul Parker by that point. Sorry, go on, Session. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> yeah, just a broad, a broad point about goals, and I think maybe relates to Lothar Matthias' goal more than anything, is I was listening to uh, an interview with Frank Skinner recently, and he made a point about, he says, we, we underestimate how, and it sounds stupid to say, how good professional footballers are at hitting a football and he, he was talking about when he was doing the um the video for um, three lines head of euro 96 and teddy sheringham you know you guys probably remember very well the players of that squad recreated classic england goals and teddy yeah. sheringham recreated bobby charlton's goal at the 66 world cup against i can't remember who it was against the one where he's he's hit it from outside the area and he's saying the sound of the shot it was like gunfire because you just don't realize until you're next to a professional footballer how hard they hit the ball and that's really stuck in my mind. And when I was watching Mateus's goal against mm, Yugoslavia, he he, it. he's absolutely smashed it. And you just think it looks fast on TV. Can you imagine how fast it is if you're the Yugoslavia goalkeeper? That thing, it was literally probably like a bullet. You probably didn't see it. It sounds like a baseball bat hitting a tree when it's done right. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah. There's always something quite satisfying about yeah, yeah. totally brilliant connection it's like really aesthetically pleasing yeah. you know you talk about the plat goal as well the way he pivots oh. and he gets himself over it you know that is that is you know it's not called a beautiful game for nothing yeah i love gary Lineker's face and on the celebration like, as well when they all you know, pile on and you just see gary Lineker like overwhelmed of joy i love that image as well yeah yeah 120th minute, wasn't it, as well, last minute, and you get the dancing from Butcher and Waddle in the, in, in the end. So, yeah, that's a great, great moment. Um, in terms of 94, loads of twos from here. We already mentioned Hadji's goal um, against Romania, which is a, a goal I completely forgot about until I, uh, and I watched it again and realised how bloody brilliant it was. And he uh, meant it as well. He yeah, absolutely meant it. He, he looks because the keeper is out yeah. of position and then exactly, he just yeah. looks. He looks up and he, he sort of, originally he was going to go for the cross, wasn't he? And then he sort of looks up and goes no you know what I'm going to have a pop here and God bless him oh it's a great goal um, Stoichkov scored a great one against Mexico obviously Lenchkov's header against Germany Maradona's goal before the controversy against Greece despite the crazy celebration a great header from Jürgen Klinsmann as well against South Korea but I think the goal and if you've never seen this goal hold on I've got I've got. I know which one you're going to mention yeah go on. Well, I'm going to say Finiti George's yes. pinpoint chip 
Oh, I was going, I'm glad you mentioned that because I did want to mention that. I only saw that today when I did a bit. I don't. Is this cheating to say that I googled the best goals from USA? No, no that's fine. We all do that. And I totally hadn't seen it before. I mean, you know, I probably saw it at the time and totally forgot. But yeah, no, you're right, Joe. It's a lovely thing. Really, I mean, there's a guy coming right across him as well. Kept his cool. And a lovely little dink over the keeper. Yeah, it's a great goal, uh, I think. A bit, of, a bit of Branko against Holland with his yeah. like a traction engine. That's the second time I've used you've that. Already, you've already <laughs> mentioned that to mention Middlesbrough, let's be honest. Well, he never, well, he, you know, blimey, he was about 19 feet tall when he, uh, about 19 stone, sorry, when he came and played for us. You know what I mean? He certainly yeah. didn't look as spelt as he did. That, in that, that game was on a Saturday evening as well, talking about yeah. games again. Yeah. I remember being at my uncle's house. Uh, but it was definitely on a Saturday night, I remember that Brazil-Holland game. But I'm guessing you're going to mention Saeed Al-Awaran. I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the name before I butchered it. But yeah. yeah, I mean, if you've never seen this goal, we talk about the um, Baggio goal where he goes around a lot of people. And I you know, I jokingly mentioned Roy Wegley and you talk about even the Maradona goal in 86. This is kind of up there. This guy just runs the length yeah. of the pitch against Belgium, makes a name for himself. Um, although no one ever remembers the name, they just remember the goal. But if you've never seen it, yeah, Google Salid Al Alwarin's goal against Belgium at USA '94. It's, it's the power of the run as yeah. well. I mean, it's not just like a gentle skip. He is like, fuck this, I'm going to score. And he just charges from yeah. inside his own half as well. It's a wonderful goal. Wonderful, I think wonderful. the difference. I think you know people rant and rave about the Maradona goal against us, but I think. To be fair, the England get, the England team was shell shocked at that point, and I always think there's points against it, and, and you know England bias or whatever. But the England team are obviously their heads are still elsewhere after the hand of God goal, and so it, I think it makes that goal easier for Maradona, which is not to sort of take away from what a brilliant load of skill it is to score like that. But I think this goal is actually better and should be ranked up there as one of the, one of the greatest of all time. Really. Mm, mm, no, it is. It's very much there. You mentioned Finney George. Just remember that he played for Ipswich. That was random. He did. It? He oh, was right. a good championship manager signing yeah. as well as I remember. Oh, really random. Okay. Now, France 98. This is difficult because I don't think it has as many, but it probably has two and specifically one of the greatest goals, not just of the 90s World Cup, not just of World Cups, I think, ever. For me, Dennis. Oh, Bergwijn... Are you going to mention? Oh, okay. go on. Go on. I'm going to have a moan about this. Go on. Oh, oh, hello. <laughs> All right. Dennis Bergkamp's goal against Argentina. The ball from one of the De Boers. I always get it wrong. I think it's Frank De Boer. Frank. It is Frank. It is Frank. It is Frank. Yeah, yeah, it's um, Frank. And the first touch, the second touch, and then the goal. How, how, how can you moan about this goal, Sachin? Okay, the ball from Frank De Boer is marvellous. I actually think that's the best bit, the whole yeah. goal. I, I don't know. I must just have a heart of stone when it comes to this goal. I love Dennis Burke. I'm not an Arsenal fan, but I love Dennis Burke. I've got nothing against him. I just think this is one of the most overrated goals in world, in, in football history. What Burkham does with that ball, I think, if you're a professional international footballer, that should be pretty standard. I mean, OK, the ball's great, but it's on his, it's on his toe. I mean, Frank, the, ball's, the ball from the ball is extraordinary. It's on his toe, so he just has to control it, which he should be able to do. Once he takes it inside the defender, who I can't... Was it Ayala? I'm I think not sure. Ayala, yeah. Yeah, once he takes it in him... I mean, the touch to come inside Ayala is, for me, pretty straightforward. And then once he's in front of Carlos Roa, he's not really got that much to do. He's, he's one-on-one from quite close in. It's a very good goal, but I just the, the way this goal is... Fetishized. I, I just, I, I don't. Know, it's me. It must be me because everybody else loves it. I just can't get worked up about it. Joe, go on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Rebuttal. Wonderful. I, I, I agree with the ball. I mean, the ball, the ball from the ball makes it. But um, I think, I, I think the way that he moves, he shifts his weight from his right to his left, which is the bit that I sort of admire about it. To, to fire, to fire past him. I just think it's, it's again, it's one of these like we said there about Platt. It's just graceful 
Uh, and I think that's, you know, there's a certain artistry to it if we're going to get completely wonky about the whole thing. Mm. I think uh, of having watched people at Loftus Road never been able to control a ball from about five yards, <laughs> I think controlling a ball like that for a professional footballer is amazing to me anyway. So, but I well, think... it's amazing, amazing for us mere mortals, isn't it? Yeah. I just think if you're an international footballer, you should be able to do that. But maybe that's not the point. I don't know. It's obviously me because everybody else loves this goal. So it's, it's, it's a me thing. And I think it's the outside of the boot finish seen... as well. That's, have you seen yeah. the clip of Debor that's doing the rounds on Twitter at the minute of him training at Ajax with the the youngsters? No, it's it's very nice. I'll okay. try and find it on Twitter okay. and send it to you. It's uh, it's quite good fun. Okay. Well, Burkamp aside, the other goal on that tournament, of course, little Marco Owen. Um, I remember watching this. I was at my girlfriend's house at the time, um, and she wanted to do something else, and I was wasn't leaving her living room for whatever. Um, so I think she went off and had the salt. But I was watching England Argentina, and I just remember going. I scared the life out of her sister because I was just shouting at him, "God, Michael! God, Michael!" Just the exuberance, the just pure arrogance to run at one of the best defenses in the world and finish it. Ignore Paul Scholes' little run, even though it probably would have been better to pass it in if if you weren't Michael Owen. But oh, I mean, Joel, as for the France '98 man, he mentioned this goal already. That is up there, isn't it? Young Michael, yeah, it was a Monday night game, ITV showed it, uh, and just nuts, you know, I mean, like I said, you know, we knew that, that we knew what he was, and we knew that his speed would terrify people in the Premier League, but then to suddenly, to go out there and do that, and this wasn't a, you know, this wasn't a side that was backing off him, this is a tough Argentinian side, and oh, goodness me, yeah, I mean, that's a really, really, really special moment, even if he'd retired the next day, Michael Owen did. Yeah. always be remembered for that it's uh it's it's a cracker isn't it really you can't yeah. get you can't get around that but again you know there's a few good ones um sunday sunday alice against spain proper yeah. screamer mm. uh against suka with his um obviously i think he got the golden boot didn't he, he did. yeah. 98 is he that did. right yeah um yeah um like a real rare right-footed goal and then in the against france in the playoffs although you know they, they didn't win uh just really great cool heads to slot home uh, through and then he got the winner in the third place play, playoff didn't he so there was some cracking goals in that one and again you know we've mentioned Ronaldo's run from the groups to the final essentially when he really showed what a player he was there was some great stuff in, in that competition mm, on the Owen, yeah on the Owen goal I think talking about first touch the first touch on that is great because the ball's actually slightly behind yeah. him and he and he drags his sort of foot behind him scoops the ball in front of him he then holds off I think it was Shamot. And showed really great strength because Owen was about eleven when that game was played, and he was, you know, weighed, weighed about seven pounds, and he's and he's done that. And obviously, we, we all remember the best. So I do think Owen's got. But the, the other goal in that game, or one of the other goals, because it was four, wasn't it? Javier Zanetti's yeah, free, free kick, kick. Yeah. one of my favourite free kicks of all time. I think the build-up, Batistuta runs over the ball, Veron plays it into Zanetti on the edge of the box, and he smashes it past him. I think it's a great goal. Sunday Lee says, well, yeah, there's a good goal from Adrian Illy, I think, for Romanians. Colombia yeah. chipped it from yeah, another chip, well. yeah. Um, so yeah, so some classics. I mean, just to go back on Burkamp, it is. A, I just want to clarify, it is a very good goal, but I don't <laughs> think it's as great as people say it is. Is it? I'm as... not saying it's rubbish. I'm not. No, make that absolutely clear. I'm not saying it's rubbish. It's not. So for you, what's Burkamp's best goal for you then? The Newcastle um, goal. The Newcastle goal. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Just on Owen as well. Just I was going to say, I forgot to say. It. Yeah, uh, that goal's amazing. I don't know if you guys remember. Liverpool played uh, Newcastle yeah, away. Yeah, the hat trick game yeah. quite soon after France. I think it was the second game of the season, and he scored for me a better goal in that game. Uh, the hat trick goal, I think it was, where he's he's just burst past three players like they're not there, and then with the outside of his right foot chipped. I think it was Shea Given. So um, 
Is that, where he rubbed his hands? Is that the goal where he yeah, rubbed his hands with Paul Lins? Yeah, rubbed his hands, yeah. So yeah. not even Michael Owen's best goal of 1998. <laughs> I, I remember, I mean, I'm a massive, at the time I was a massive Michael Owen fan. And I, you know, when you remember games like that, I think what happened to him in, his, in the latter part of his career, you forget for that period from 98 to 2002-ish, how fucking brilliant Michael Owen was as a I think, yeah, I think I think he what's happening now is yeah. the, fact the fact he's doing all these adverts for, you know, terrible, terrible um, companies and brands. Not that the brands are terrible, I'm not saying that, but the adverts are pretty porny, really, when it comes down yeah. to it. And it almost tarnishes all that brilliance oh, no. that you know that he had and everything. Because, to be honest, you're not going to see, I don't know, Lineker doesn't do that sort of thing, does he? You know? No, it's it's a shame. It's a shame. Picked too early for him. Um, I, we need to decide. Paul Scholes is the other goal I was going to say as well against Tunisia in the opener. I think that's a decent goal as well. Um, it's hard. I'm leaning to like 94 had more better goals, but 98 had probably the best two. So I'm kind of. But then there's Mateus. Um, I'm I'm going to go to you guys first. Um, Joe, which World Cup had the best goals? I'm sticking with home. Uh, France okay. 98, thank you very much for me. Sashin, I'm going to get the costume vote now, aren't I? <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, well, it's a really not a close one. I, I'm going to say 94. I'm going to be controversial saying 94 just because of um, the... I'm not going to try his name. The Saudis goal. Yeah. Uh, and I think Branco's free kick. Uh, was, I just remember watching it and loving it. And I think Hadji's lob was extraordinary against Romania. So I'm just... Just edges 98 for me, 94. It pains me. It breaks my heart to turn against USA '94, but I I just love those two goals, the Burkham and the Owen goals. They're just they're in my top, you know, le- at least my top ten of the decade. So I can't ignore it. Um, so yeah, for the first time in my life, I'm turning my back on USA '94 and giving it to '98, which at the moment is looking like it's a it's a strong contender, which I didn't expect at the beginning of this podcast. Um, we've got a couple more categories though. This one's probably mainly for me, but I'll let the boys have a go as well. The best kits in World Cup history and we did a kit podcast with John Devlin go back in the archives and listen to that where we talked about all the kits of the World Cup um, do you know what I don't, oh, obviously I love the USA 94 one but across the board there's some great kits in, in the World Cup um, Sashin some favourites from you from the three yeah well 1990's got two of my all time favourite kits which is England's top which I think uh, I don't know why maybe again it's the first the first yeah. one there's no specific reason I just adore that top and arguably I think the greatest World Cup top of all time is Germany's I just think it's it's a classic I know it's Germany but I, I just think it's a great top um, 98 I thought Holland's top in 98 was gorgeous that slightly luminous orange it was a bit yeah. brighter than they, they have before I thought that was a great one and I mean Argentina always always do good kids I think their best was actually from uh, the 2010 World Cup so good I don't, I don't buy kids anymore but I actually bought that one because I loved it so much but yeah which I think of others, um, but no, I think Germany 1990 for me is a standout, mm-hmm. standout one. Joe, any stands out for you? I know you're not a man as up on your kits as, as few of us on this podcast, but what, what for you? Well, obviously the Germany one is an outstanding. You know, I'm an Adidas fan. It seems yeah. to be 1990 seemed to be Adidas's World Cup. I think if you look at the that classic Germany, classic Argentina, the USA kit was Cameroon. The kit was yeah. If you look at 94, you know, lots of Umbro in 94, mm. Brazil and yeah. Sweden. Um, what I don't like about 94 is that the Spanish kit and the German kits of 94 look like bad remixes of the classics. It's sort of like when you would yeah. buy a 12 inch single and then, you know, the last remix on the B side was always like really weak. And that's what they remind me of. And that Bulgaria kit in the 94 one looks like um, that Liverpool kit, you know, with the three stripes. Oh, the the, yeah, it's the Adidas you know, equipment. Equipment. So Template. there's a lot of yeah. sort of. Yeah, there's a, you know, I'm not looking nicely on 94, you know, whereas 98 has got Croatia with the flag blowing. 
It's got the chili top with the Reebok logo embedded into it. It's got a nice classic Germany kit. Even the Scotland Umbro kit is nice in that one, although I don't like the England shirt at 98. No, I'm not a fan of the darts kit. No, I always got that. No, I don't like that one. And it's got that it's got that crazy Mexican Aztec kit. It has, yes. It with has. all that in it. It's got that mad Jamaica kit in it. You know, again, mate, I'm leaning at 98. Oh, this this that, this that isn't biased. That's that's prop that's me walking and looking at it. Although I think ninety ninety has the best kit, the Germany one. I think for the variety and the basic all-round niceness of kits, England notwithstanding, although the red kit is lovely, um, I'm, I'm again leaning towards '98. I'm afraid. Well, this is a tough one, then, isn't it? I think I think it's what you're into. Like, I think '94. If you like your bonkers kits, obviously you're saying '94, um, the away kit and everything else. That's your man. And also um, the Russia kit in that is absolutely mental. The Nigeria kit. Um, as well, and they sold three million copies of that new Nigeria kit. By the way, I, I'm not. I think it's like, like like Sashin and the Burkham go. I don't really get the fuss over the Nigeria kit. It's, it's crazy, but that's all it's really got. But it's a bit different to everyone else's. Cues, cues outside Makey Town yeah, circus. People going mental. I much prefer the um, the Columbia and the uh, what else? One was the one like the um, the Germany away kit. Well, that they're very '90s inspired, so I would. Um, I think '90 is. They're cooler. I think the 90 kits, as you mentioned, the England kit is a classic, the Germany kit classic. The Italy kit we haven't mentioned as well. That's a lovely, lovely kit from Italia 90. Um, oh, God, this is hard because this is like one vote each. I think this is literally, we can't split this one. I think we're, yeah. all, I think we're all going somewhere else. So this is a tie, which is fine. That means all kits wins, which in my book is fine. <laughs> so it's yeah, a, it's I'm, def- I'm definitely going 1990. Yeah, I'm yeah. definitely going 1990 uh, for me. I can't say no to 94 in that USA kit. So I'm going 94. Joel's going 98. So going 98. It, it's a tie. Go. It's a tie for the kit. So uh, this it brings us down to, I mean, this this last, well, I say last, we've got a few little ones that I was going to mention that we, we could just do for fun. But legacy of the tournaments now this i mean this is how you want to i suppose interpretate it in terms of the legacy of each, each tournament um whether it's the, the rules that were implemented the records that were broken or just the pure sort of what happened to certain individuals and teams afterwards um let's go to our 1990 man what sort of legacy do you think sashin italia 90 has on football or or, or, the, or just the world cups that followed I think um, it's it's the obvious cliche thing that's said about 99. I think 99 was the moment football became cool. I think yeah. you had World in Motion, which is the greatest football song of all time. Um, Ness and Dorma just just gave just so much class as well. You know, just having that as a soundtrack of the World Cup. Um, and I think obviously from an English perspective, you know, semi-final appearance obviously sparked the imagination. It came around the time that football was changing in England anyway. So I think that fitted into that. Um, so I think from a domestic point of view, it felt like a real, a real pivotal moment. Um, now, whether that was felt in other countries, I don't know. Um, yeah, so I can only see, I mean, it's my first World Cup. So from a legacy point of view, from a personal point of view, in terms of legacy, it's, it's the tournament that absolutely sealed the deal. That yeah, I absolutely am completely in love with football. Um, and I think from a domestic point of view, it was the moment as well where pe- more people than ever before, arguably since 66, realised, well, got into football. And that's not necessarily a positive thing. That's, there's a lot of negative around that as well, because I think it led to the Premier League and all the... There's been issues around the Premier League and we won't get into that now, obviously. Um, yeah, for me, it's just football's cool. Football's cool in yeah. 1990. Um, and that's not a great legacy, but it's a legacy. No, it, do you know what? Do you know what's funny? Because I think that's that correct. It's cool. And then I think USA 94 turned it completely on its head and, and went over the top and made it just this sort of global expansion that it became later in. I think America took it, took that coolness, just stuck it in a jar, shaked it up and down and out come this 
absolutely nuts World Cup in terms of colour. I mean, I think the overall quality, especially the final and some of the later games, sort of disappointed and didn't live up to the fact that yes, 94 was such a colourful tournament. You know, you had lots of thirsts in that tournament. You know, the first uh, game played under a roof. You have the, the first guy to score five goals in a game. I think it was the birth of the really big sort of foreign superstars that we saw all the time like Romario and Bibeto and then but also at the same time as we mentioned the underdog teams that where they could go as far it just felt like a World Cup where anything could happen and I think, I think the thing with with that one Ash with 94 is the whole point of USA 94 is to get football accepted by yeah the that's Americans. what I was going to come and, on to yeah and did it did it do that I think the answer is no I, I think I think the Americans are only now starting to take to football properly. And you can say that's because they've got a proper league now. That's because things are organised. They're getting big name players, you know, albeit at their end of the career. But I think the actual idea when they were awarded it in, it must have been 1986, was to get the Americans to accept football. And I don't think it did. And in that case, I don't think the legacy thing stands up for USA 94 for me. I see what you're saying and having spoke to Alexi Lalas check out our 50th episode I think it took more time than they wanted to but I do think I mean look at the tendencies it's still the most attended World Cup of all time um, granted the stadiums were much bigger as well but I still I do think it it set the tone it took more time I think it didn't wasn't an instant kind of oh we must have the MLS as it was because you watch the early days of the MLS in the late 90s it's still very poor and they still do those penalties from the halfway line and things like that but I do think it slightly turned the wheels in motions and made people aware more of what the game was about in that country but I, I, I probably took more time than you instantly wanted it to do so I, I agree with your point but in terms of France 98 Joe where would you say their legacy would, would look upon in, in future um, again just like I said earlier on you know it, it kind of ushered in the World Cup as we know it now um, I, do, I don't think was there a particular a particular legacy that could have been left you know I'm going to be brutally honest about it I, I don't think that there is apart from you know the commercialism as we said and, and the fact that it does feel a lot more modern it feels you know like the first of the new lot as far as the legacy beyond that no did france need any groundwork doing in the game you wouldn't say so um so i think legacy is probably where 98 falls now for me to be honest i i've got a i've got a double whammy i've got a legacy shout for 98 and i've got a third uh, geopolitic mention as well <laughs> oh, so oh, this oh, is the hat trick ball for geopolitics yeah. yeah um well i think it wasn't necessarily legacy oh i don't know because i'm not i don't live in france but i think it was a there was a, a potential for legacy, and certainly maybe that lasted for a little bit, which was the the, the cultural aspect of that French team. Because at that time, Marie Le Pen, the, the far-right political activist in France, was gaining, I think, a lot of momentum in, in France at that time. And then that French team just came about at the right time. as team, obviously, Zidane was Algerian. I think um, Desai's got Ghanaian roots. And it was a team of immigrants, essentially. And they won the World Cup and obviously gave France a great uh, good luck feel. And that, I think, stopped Le Pen's rise in France it halted it for possibly 10 years or so and obviously now the far right are prominent across the world but but I think in France they were they were they were there first they were making tracks first and had it not been for that World Cup arguably they might have they might have got into government and stuff I, I may be completely wrong on that yeah I'm totally clued up, but I do remember that being a narrative around why France winning the World Cup was so significant I really like that that's really good yeah. I never thought of it like yeah, that no, yeah. and your what was your 494 as well did you say um, I, I don't think. Yeah, I, was, I can't really think of a legacy for '94. Yeah. I think. I think the sadness for me, on a, again, personal level, but maybe at broad level as well, was Maradona's le- mm. departure. That was his last tournament. Um, it was his final chance after '86 to to be, you know, a, a, an iconic figure at a World Cup. He, he fell apart after a decent start. 
Um, and obviously the other thing was uh, watching a World Cup where it was so hot that me and my mate started talking about USA 94. I love that. But apart, apart from that, I can't really yeah, think no, of anything. Yeah, I don't think 94 yeah. is our winner here. It is no, between no. 90 and 98. Um, I agree with you, Sashin, in terms of 90. You know, if England especially didn't do as well as they did it's it, you could argue we still you know we might not even be where we are now because people fell in love with the game again thanks to England's run and the World Cup itself um so I, I mean I lean towards that I mean are you sticking with 98 Joe is that you think that's got the best legacy of the of the World Cups well I didn't you know <laughs> you know until but I think Sachin's convinced me you know I, I was thinking in terms of sporting stuff but I think in terms of a an, an over an overarching social view of of the world then yeah i think that's probably right i mean the thing i think about italian 90 as well is outside of england did it really have that much yeah does it yeah, have does it have the same point, impact yeah. that, that that we really have and I, i'm not convinced it does really i think you know i think the gascoigne tears and and the song and and the lack of hooliganism and, and all the rest of it does more for it here it's, it's more fun you remember than it probably is in a lot of a lot of other places but um, i think sachin's probably won't be over with this thing no I, I think i think i think in terms of sport and also i think it also shows that the cusp as we said already of what football is about to become i think 98 is really the the point of explosion and this sort of conglomerate that we know now of of, of football in in, in in the world not just in the country so i do think yeah france 98 just gets the nod and you know what that means joel you are our winner and Get france it. france 98 which I, I didn't see coming i didn't but i think you know going through on balance and sashin as you mentioned the goals and the entertainment level maybe france 98 is it and the, i mean we've talked about the goals and the games as well so overall that is our world cup of the 90s how do you feel about that sashin yeah, I'm okay with that. I do think France is the best World Cup of the 90s. I think I think university it is for, for all the reasons of outline. I mean, the one I have the most affection for is 1990 yeah. for, for very personal reasons, but I'm not in any way saying it's the best World Cup of the 90s because there wasn't a lot of good games. There weren't many goals. Uh, there weren't many shocks. Um, and I think we all see it from the prism of being England fans or people who live in England. And, and that's not the main reason to judge a World Cup. I think for the broader quality, definitely 98, I think. Mm. I'll, I'll give 90 a little thing that it didn't, that we haven't mentioned, but it did have the best theme tune in Tendonessa and Dorma. Um, yeah. still, still the greatest piece of, I'd even say any music. I just, when I, when I was listening to it last night, the emotion that it brings to me, that song is just amazing. Even when Leicester used it in their title winning celebrations, I still felt the feels then. I just love that piece of music. I think it had the best mascot as well, although I love Striker from US 94. I think, you know, Chow, that's weird looking thing. Yeah, so I don't like that. I'm with Footix. It's so distinctive <laughs> looking though, isn't it? It's so, it's kind of, you know. What was this? Uh, did you say the other day that France's mascot for this 2020, year? Is, no, for twenty twenty. For twenty twenty is the son or daughter of Footix. Yeah, that's yeah. I like that. I think that's quite sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so the better. That, that's <laughs> legacy for you. Yeah. That's yeah. Legacy well, for that you. means he's just has spawned children, and now we're going to see them in twenty twenty. Yeah. And that means in twenty twenty six, the uh, the spawn child or children of Striker will be appearing in the uh, the World Cup for America. And... I want to see. I want to see PK. Son of PK, son of yeah. Well, we might see son of PK as well in twenty twenty six. Might see uh, grandson of PK. Naren eighty two was Naren Gito, the orange. Yeah, it was. And I can't remember what seventy eight, but seventy four was Tick and Tack. Seventy eight was two little. There were uh, two little boys in Argentina kits. If I remember, I don't know what their names were, but yeah, they were similar to the German ones from seventy four. But yeah. 
Yeah, good old mascots. Yeah, so Ness and Durham, the best theme. Uh, World in Motion is the best song, football song as well, but that's very England. But overall, we have declared France 98 the, the World Cup of the 90s, which I think we've done with great aplomb as well. So thank you very much, guys. Um, that has been brilliant. This is our pre-World Cup show. We've got more World Cup shows on the horizon, as well as we mentioned that Joel will be talking to no one other than David Bedil. That's to come. Um, yeah, I need to go and get a microphone. This, this is the problem at the minute, the technical issues. All right, don't, don't let them behind the curtain, Joel. Come on. We're, prof- we're, <laughs> no, we're a right. professional outfit here. Um, I'm going to go to Argos and get get one of these karaoke microphones, and hopefully that'll, that'll work. We can sing free lines to it. Um, Joe, where can people find you during the World Cup if they want to talk about David Medill or anything else on the Soch? Uh, everything is Joel Baby Herc. Just go and find me. I've, uh, I dare say it'll be starting tomorrow, as we record this on the Wednesday on World Cup Eve. Uh, from around about half past two, saying all sorts of jolly things about the opening ceremony and Robbie Williams and such like. Oh, God, yeah. It's meant to be quite tight, this opening ceremony, so let's hope it's not too long. Um, Sashin, where can people get in touch with you if they want to talk anything World Cup? And also, tell us about Chuckle Lovers quickly as well. Yeah, so as Sachin Nakrani, I'm on, that's yeah, I don't do Instagram or Facebook, so that's the only way you can contact me. Um, you, you can call me, but I'm not going to hand my phone up right <laughs> on the podcast. Uh, yeah, Chuckle Lovers, yeah, you're very good to come on it, Ash. It's a comedy podcast hosted by me and... Um, my mate Stephen Chicken in bracket. There you go. I, I just followed you. There you go. There you go. I'll follow you back. Oh, um, the 90s yeah. love. We're all, we're all friends here. Yeah. Yeah. Love, yeah. Yeah. So me, me and Stephen Chicken um, host it. We've done 10 episodes. We did two episodes on Sunday, Royal Family and Atlanta. We talk about our favourite sitcoms. Also, uh, the aim is to speak to comedians and uh, and uh, comedy writers as well, because we're all two big comedy fans. And yeah, Ash, you were good, to come on, good enough to come on to the Say by the Bell episode, which... Um, we all agreed was was utter dog shit. Um, yeah, I just realised. Um, well, you've just realised you've actually <laughs> shat on Say by the Bell and you shat on Dennis Burkham. It's like you're trying yeah, to ruin my nineties. Somebody yeah, explained to me how Mario Lopez is still working. And no idea. No idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, no, but you're very good to come on anyway. And yeah, so keep listening. We're going to do more episodes during the summer. And as I said, the ones we've all done, I think, are, are all very good. But I'm a bit biased saying that. Yeah. Big, if you, for the 90s fans, they've, you've done Far of a Ted as well. Of the only other 90s one you've done, haven't you? Uh, yeah. Well, Royal Family's 90, yeah, 98. Yeah. 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 Just say that the Twitter account for that is at Chuck Lovers Pod, uh, where you can find all the links to all the pods we've done. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of other 90s ones. Uh, King of Queens? Did that start in the 90s? I think that it must maybe have done. Naughty. Yeah. Mm, so just, that was the just. first ever episode. Yeah. Yeah. Joel, favourite comedy of the 90s? Uh, well, I'm always Vic and Bob, aren't I? Everything's yeah. kind of Vic and Bob with me. But yeah, Father Ted, as mentioned. Um, what else do I like? I, I'm just looking at my DVDs now, but they all seem to be sort of Nathan Barley and Porridge. And uh, what else can I see there? There's, anyway, there's, there's not much in the way of series of sitcoms, mm. but uh, certainly Father Ted, I think. And, and they're bringing it back as a musical, which I don't know whether to be elated about or really worried. Yeah, I really worried. Other than My Lovely Horse, I don't want to see anything apart from that. Well, it's, um... it's the music's written by Neil Hannon from the Divine Comedy. He wrote all the music on uh, Father Ted, and the script has been written by Arthur Matthews and Graham Linehan. So, okay. I mean, the mm. potential's there, but and it's about Ted becoming Pope. Okay. That's what the, mm. that's what the music. Not sure about, about that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure about but, that. Uh, <laughs> we shall see. We shall yeah. see what happens there with that. Okay. Uh, oh, Big Train, obviously, which I think is started in '99, but that isn't a sitcom either. Mm. Uh, I'll yeah. go off and think. Yeah, you think. I'm big love and Ben Baby Badly, so I can't wait till when she get to that one session. Anyway, it's we've gone completely off the tangent. Thank you very much, guys. <laughs> France 98 is our World Cup of the 90s. Happy World Cup Eve, everyone. Enjoy the tournament. We'll be back soon. But until then, keep it 90s.